Welcome to episode 10 of Advanced Scout, your favorite podcast about clutch baseball, a card game that's actually a board game about a ball game. I'm Paul Seeley, manager of the Fed Weezy Fusion. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that Clutch has a Discord, and it is awesome. Chat about the game, play games, check out cool team-building resources, talk about how you are completely melting in 110-degree weather. We have it all. Come join us. A link to the Discord will be in the description of this podcast. Well, we're here. It is 2021. Strategy cards are in hand, and today I'm going to talk about them. I think it's important to bring up that I, the reason I talk about strategy cards a lot more than I talk about stadiums is because, in my opinion, your strategy card should dictate how you play your game and how you build your team much more than a stadium should. Um, I'm, I'm sort of reminded of this by uh, today a, a well-qualified expert member of our community, the Sacramento Panthers, posted... A very detailed and extensive kind of um, list of how you should build around every stadium and kind of what he thinks the best stadiums are and how he would build around them. And I think that's really good information. And I think in general, if you're trying to maximize a stadium, there's a lot of really good information there. I think the main thing that I emphasize a lot in my strategy is I think all that information is fine but that there are going to be cards that you just think are better for the strategy cards in your deck. Like, if you think you're using the same 40 strategy cards in your deck every game, you want your players to be able to maximize those cards, regardless of what stadium you're in. So, the way I tend to build teams is that I will have a team that I kind of want, and I'll have a stadium, and I will tweak things on the margins in order to fit that stadium and whatever team build I'm going for, but I'm not going to completely overhaul what my idea of the best team is just because I have a stadium. Um, and, and so stadiums that demand you do that require, they have to be really good. You know, so for example, I tend to build teams without a lot of positive clutch players. And so if I wanted to use a stadium like New York A, that would require completely overhauling my team. Now, I think it's fairly arguable that New York A is such a good effect that it's worth doing that. And so I think that's a reasonable argument that you can make. And, you know, that might be a decision you make. I think that there are some situations where, sure, I'm catering more to the stadium, but I lose a lot more than I gain from that. So I, I think the reason I talk about strategy cards more than stadiums is because I think stadiums are secondary to how I build teams. And in general, that's what I recommend. You know, if you're a new player, you should probably just try different team builds and see what you like. So you can use stadiums to guide you there, right? If you don't know what kind of team you want to build, Try a bunch of different types of teams and have stadiums that go with it and then kind of see what you like. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's certainly a really good way to learn the game, to learn what you like. But once you figure out what you like and what you think is the best, you shouldn't change what you think is the best just because you have a stadium you're going to play half your games at that 
you have to make major changes in order to get minor benefits from. You know, so you have to kind of do a cost-benefit analysis of how much you're actually gaining from catering your team to that stadium versus how much you're losing in deviation from what you consider to be the best, air quotes, team um, in order to fit that. So I think that's kind of my thing on stadiums and why I talk about strategy cards a lot more because your strategy cards are always going to be your strategy cards no matter where you are and if you think that there are certain groups of strategy cards that are the best you should make sure your team can take advantage of those. So today I'm going to talk about all of the 2021 strategy cards and coaches. I'm going to kind of explain them, talk about how effective I think they are, what their uses are, and first I'll go through neutrals and then offense and then defense. And that will be it for this podcast. So thanks for tuning in. Let's talk about neutrals. Um, first neutral, alphabetically, is Ducks on the Pond. Uh, Ducks on the Pond, you discard one card, you play it before the pitch, you count the number of base runners, and you may add or subtract that number from the pitch or the swing. So you have two runners on, you play Ducks on the Pond, you discard a card, you can add or subtract two from the pitch or swing. Um, I think the value of this card comes from the fact that it's very versatile. You, no matter what situation you're in, if there are runners on, you're going to be able to play this to help you. And so in that sense, it's very nice. But the cost of that comes from the fact that you have to discard a card to play it for an effect that is not super powerful. Like, you can get plus two to something without discarding a card fairly often. So you are paying a card in order to get that flexibility. I think the fact that I don't usually find myself with a ton of situations with runners on base would lead me to not deck a card like this. That said, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where, you know, you play a bunch of games and like all of the time you have runners on base to the point where you run out of your normal strategy cards that you're using in those situations, right? Like you play all of your Sealy Clearly's with runners on base. You play all your Revised Stakes with runners on base. You play you know, all of your flags flying out with runners on base, and it's just not enough. I find that hard to believe would happen, but I'm open to the suggestion that maybe that's possible, in which case maybe Ducks in the Pond is okay. Um, I just think I don't have enough problems playing the cards that I like that I want something that's as e- that I have to pay for versatility, like I do with Ducks on the Pond. The next neutral card, not so fast. This is one we've seen before. Discard a card and negate your opponent's strategy card. Uh, Very simple. Simpler than the last one. You only have to pay one card no matter what the rarity of your opponent's card is. This should be pretty much in every deck because there's always going to be a card you don't want. You know, the only difference between the last one and now is if if you negate a rare card you only have to discard one card, which isn't a huge deal because I really didn't use it on rare cards that much anyway, which might have partially been because it was particularly costly to do. But my biggest target of this card was always Full Monty because I think that's the most powerful card in the game. And 
I only had to discard one in order to do that. So, uh, to me, I don't think that change matters too much to me. I'm still going to deck this pretty much no matter what. And, you know, the only thing is, you know, you still have to discard a card to play it. So, you shouldn't, you only get one of these. You shouldn't just throw it out there for no reason. You should be very, you know, um, aware of is this the best situation to use this card? And maybe it is, you know. Early in the game, you might encounter a situation where you're like, yeah, I, I really need this right now. Then great. You know, sometimes you just want to hold on to it. You know, playing them situationally is really important. Uh, the last neutral card is Upside Down. You play before the pitch. Remove all L plus or R plus handedness bonuses this at bat. So that will apply to both the pitcher and the hitter. Definitely a useful card situationally. It's just going to be one of those things where if you notice that your opponent has way more handed as bonuses than you do, then you're going to want to play it. Especially if you're running a heavy starting rotation team. You know, like if you have, you know, Clayton Kershaw, and you are going to be pitching him, hopefully for the entire game, and your opponent has a ton of right-handed batters with left-handed bonuses then you know you're going to get good use out of a card like Upside Down, right? So, um, this is not mutually exclusive with Data's Homework 2.0. You can uh, you can roster, you can have both of those in your deck. So, it's just one of those things where you got to look at the handedness bonuses you get, the handedness bonuses your opponent gets, and kind of make an informed decision on how often is that card going to be useful. Because if you can only play this on one batter, that's not the most useful thing in the world, Right? Because ideally you want to be able to play this in a high leverage situation where, okay, I'm really getting good use out of this card. Well, the best way to ensure that that happens is you have a lot of different batters in which this kind of card would work. On the other hand, if that happens, that probably means your batters aren't getting good hand in his bonuses in the first place, which means you probably don't have a great lineup for the situation. So, you know, it could be the kind of card that helps you in a bad spot when you have a bad matchup. And, you know, so for something like that, it definitely makes situational sense. I would absolutely deck this if I saw a huge need for it. I don't think I would deck this if I only kind of needed it. I think I would have to really feel like, okay, I really need this. Um, this would be really, really good here. But then I would not have an issue uh, putting it in my deck. Next, let's move on to offense. Uh, our first offensive card is Cold-Blooded. This is absolutely identical to the previous Cold-Blooded card. And you, during, before the pitch, during a clutch moment, you add the battle's clutch to their own base, roll the swing using the power die. You know, it's just a really good card. Like, it's borderline whether or not you have to deck this or not. You know, I tend to run a lot of teams where I might only have one or two positive clutch batters, and so it's hard for me to say... I definitely must deck this card because you it's very situational. But when it does work, plus two or plus three on base, plus the power dice swing is really, really powerful. So it is reasonable to deck it just for that like situational, you know, like, okay, lower chance that it works, but if it does work, this thing is really good. So... I think that makes a lot of sense. If you have 
a majority of your lineup that's positive clutch, I think this card just makes too much sense to not use. I think if you only have a couple, then it's a tougher decision to make. I would probably still lean towards using it just because it's one card and you're just kind of hoping that it works out. Like if you draw it early, you're probably discarding it anyway because it's a clutch moment card and you're not going to get to play it for five innings, six innings. So, you know, if you draw it that early, you're probably using it as a discard for something else anyway. So it's a nice card you can use for that. That doesn't fill up your deck too much. Um, you know, I, the more clutch you have, the easier it is to use. I would say as long as you have at least one plus two or plus three clutch hitter, it's at least in the realm of thinking about using it. it. The more clutch hitters you get, the more automatic this should be in your deck, basically. So, you know, if you have one plus three clutch hitter in your deck... I don't think it's an auto, I don't think it's an automatic, like, don't use it. Um, I think I would at least consider it. And if I don't have any other cards that I, like, really want to put in there, I guess I'll put it in there. But, you know, the more clutch hitters you get, the more likely you are to just put this in there. Up next is Confidence Booster. It's a momentum card. Play it after a walk or hit on the pitcher's chart. Leave this card in your batter, plus two to their on base. And if they have a home run, RBI, or slugging icon, draw one card if a hitter gets a walk or a hit with this card attached to them. So, I think this is a really nice card. The reason being that I often play for pitcher chart hits in the first place. You know, because we exist in a meta where power dice swings are super powerful, and oftentimes I'm just YOLOing power dice swings on the pitcher's chart, like, you're going to get a few walker hits on the pitcher's chart pretty much all the time. Um, you know, this might be something you don't deck if your opponent's running like a 19 out starting pitcher or something, just because it's just that much less likely you're going to get one. But, you know, if it's a 17 out pitcher, I would definitely use it. If it's 18, I would think about it. You know, it just kind of depends. And, you know, obviously the earlier you can play this card, the more benefit you get from it. So, the quality of the starting pitcher you're facing will, will matter a lot more in determining whether you can get value out of this or not. You know, I think the icon is really nice. So, I mean, this is going to go for a fair amount of icons that I talk about, but I think if you have those icons in, in your team already, this is a nice card to supplement that. I don't think I'm going to go out of my way to put icons on my team just to make use of this, because... Pitcher's chart hits are not predictable. They just kind of happen, right? Like, you can try to manipulate yourself to get some, but, like, they just kind of happen. doesn't matter how good or doesn't matter how good the batter is. They just happen. So, you know, unless you have a lineup full, like, where everybody has a home run RBI or slugging icon, like, you're not going to get to be choosy on who this gets applied to. So, to me, I don't... I'm not going to use this just for the icon. I would use it because it gives me plus two on base, preferably to a hitter with a really good chart, because that plus two on base means that much more for them. And I get it for the whole game. It doesn't get removed for any reason. So, you know, it's definitely not a must deck, but I think it's really it's really hard for this card to be bad. 
because plus two on base is plus two on base. So, you know, it might be one of those things where you, if you draw it late enough, you probably just use something else and use this as a discard for something. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a one, it's a rare card. You get one copy of it. And if you draw it early, there's a pretty significant payoff from it. So I think that's generally going to be worth it, depending on your starting pitching matchup. Next is Go Big or Go Home. Before the swing on the on your batter's chart, plus three the swing, change any result from a double to a strikeout. If your batter has the home run icon, change any result lower than a double to a fly ball. So there are a very small amount of players for which this increases your expected OPS. Um, very few. So, and those players that it does are going to be guys that have a lot of batters chart outs and very low doubles. Most of the time, I, that's not a very good card, and so I find it really difficult to use a card like this because really best-case scenario, you have like one or two guys in your lineup that this applies to. Um, and so when that's the case, I just don't see myself ever finding room to use this in my deck. You know, it's basically a desperation play, right? Because you're, you know, you're just trying for an extra base hit. But I feel like the if you're in a desperation situation, you should probably just play the card that gets you the overall better odds. Like, Paradise will give you overall better results than plus three of the swing, anything that isn't a double to strike out. Right, I don't think changing it to a fly ball with a home run icon is really particularly useful. And I'm sure there's some niche scenarios where it is, but not very many. Um, you know, I mean, I think you know this is a reprint from a previous card. I don't think it's that good. It's really interesting. I'd be fascinated if there becomes a time where this is a useful card. I don't think our current player pool of cards that benefit from this is good enough to warrant using this card. Next is Hanging Curve. Play before the pitch. Uh, plus two the swing if your batter gets the advantage. Minus two the swing if the pitcher gets the advantage. I mean, it would be really difficult for me to justify this card just because like, in, in the absolute best case scenario, you're probably giving yourself plus two to the swing, like, 60% of the time. Like, if you're running Babe Ruth at 15 on base versus a three-command pitcher, which, first of all, if you're running that, you really don't need a strategy card in the first place. But if you are, right, okay, a 13 gives you gives your opponent the advantage. So, 12 out of 20 chance, 6 out of 10 chance, 60% chance that you get the advantage. That's like the absolute best possible case scenario. There's a 60% chance you benefit from this card. Vast majority of times, your opponent is far more likely to get the advantage than you are because that's how baseball works. So, I just can't see any justification for this card at all, honestly. I mean, I get it, it's like a gamble, but, like, I would fail to see, you know, even if you're facing, like, a pitcher with a really good chart, like, 
I don't know. I mean, the argument would probably be like, okay, if I'm facing Julio Arias, he has 19 outs. If I don't get the advantage, I'm out anyway. So why don't I just play this? And I guess the answer would be, well, one, you're probably not facing it for the whole game. And two, like, my Asu the Swing is still really bad for a variety of reasons. One, it, it, it makes your chances of getting a pitcher's chart hit from 1 out of 20 to 0, which is not nothing. Um, it also increases the amount of strikeouts you get, which, you know, if you have runners on base, is generally not great. Um, you know, like, if you're running a slow team, it's probably not a big deal, but increasing strikeouts is never great. I just don't think there's enough utility. Like, if this card was plus 3 to the swing if your batter gets the advantage, and minus 2 to the swing if the pitcher gets the advantage, I probably still wouldn't use it, but I would find it more justifiable. Right? Because there's at least, like, a reward to taking the risk you're taking. But, considering the fact that it's even, you really... Like, you're very rarely even getting good odds on this card. Next is I Am Speed. This is a momentum card. It is an uncommon. It, you successfully play it after stealing a base. Leave it on the base runner who stole the base until they are thrown out. Your opponent must discard one card every time that base runner successfully steals a base. So I really like this card in theory. The only issue with it is the issue I have with stealing bases in general. I just think it's not very cost effective. I think once you get speed above like 20, like 21, 22, 23, 24 speed, it's just really expensive. And so building a team revolving around stealing bases is just, I think in general, fairly suboptimal. And so in that, in that world, I don't think this card is particularly great just for that reason. If we ignore that and we just go from the basis of let's assume that stealing is a legitimate strategy that I think is just as good as every other strategy, then this card is great because you can use it to really terrorize your opponents. Um, stealing something you can do all the time. And so you get two of these, you get it on some good base stealers, you can force a lot of discards. You know, ideally you would combine this with other force discards, and you would force your opponents to just discard better and better cards. So, I really like this card in theory. If we ever reach a meta where stealing bases is good, I think that this is a really nice card. For now, I, I don't think it's particularly great. Um, next is Make Him Pay, and I'm going to combine Primetime with this. Um, both Make Him Pay and Primetime are clutch moment cards. Both, you know, Make Him Pay adds the pitcher's clutch to the pitch, Primetime adds the batter's clutch to the swing. Uh, both of them will do the other thing if your batter has the home run, MVP, RBI, or slugging icon. So, you know, make him pay will add pitcher's clutch to the pitch, but if you have the icon, you'll add batter's clutch to the swing too. Primetime's the other way. Um, both of these, I think, are, are fine. I think clutch moments are just a little too difficult to rely upon for me. What I found in Polar Power is that there were so many cards that were just universally good that I didn't have room for something like Primetime, where it's pretty good in a clutch situation, but I have to wait a long time in order to actually get to use it, and it's just not very consistent. And so, 
I would be fairly wary of using these types of cards just because I think if you use too many of them, you're going to be... You're going to have a really unreliable strategy deck. And so I think the payoff has to be really big in order for it to be worth it. And so that's why I think something like Cold-Blooded is reasonable because it's a really big payoff if you get the clutch moment. I think these... I think really the only situations in which these make a ton of sense is if your opponent has a ton of negative clutch pitchers and you have hitters with icons, because then you can get both the clutch to the pitch and the clutch from the uh, to the swing, and that can be a net like six or you know five or four or something. And in that case, it's probably a decent call to run. But I think that's a very small scenario that won't happen very often. And I wouldn't want to build a team around just those. Um, I just think there are, there are too many universally good cards to have room for these. Is just kind of my take on them. Um, next is Moneyball. You play this after a strategy card triggers a subtraction from the swing. You discard a card, and you negate the subtraction from the swing and add it to your own base. So, Mending Ball is really good. I'm not decking it all the time. I'm decking it if I'm against an opponent I know is going to be subtracting from my swing a lot. So, if I know my opponent plays first pitch strikes... Well, actually, no, I can't do that, because Money Ball doesn't work against that. Uh, it has to be immediate. So, it won't work against first pitch strikes, because you don't subtract from the swing when you play first pitch strikes. It comes later. You have to play that immediately after a play. So this would work against something like Empty Real Estate. It would work against something like Clean Cleats. It would work against something like Intimidation Factor. So those sorts of things, if I know my opponent's running a lot of those, then I am inclined to run Moneyball. I think Let the Kids Play is a better version because at least for the first time you play it, it's the same cost of discarding a card, but you add it to the swing instead. So... That's slightly better than adding to the on base, but realistically, I think they're pretty similar. Um, the benefit of the money ball is obviously like you don't have to discard three cards the second time you use it, so that's nice. So I think if you're running, if you if you know you're going to be facing a lot of um, cards that subtract from the swing, it's a very solid card. Running on fumes, draw one card plus two the swing if you are facing a tired pitcher. Um, if you know for a fact 100% that you're going to be facing a tired pitcher, I think this is reasonable to deck, only because that extra card draw is pretty nice. Otherwise, I don't think I would ever deck this, because, you know, plus two the swing isn't good enough to make me say, oh, I really need to, like, take a risk in guessing pitcher tiredness in order to try and get that. And drawing a card is nice and makes it worth decking in the scenario in which you know you're facing a tired pitcher, but probably isn't good enough for me to want to actually risk putting this in my deck and not facing one. Last in the offensive cards is Wheels in Motion. Play this after a run batted in. Plus two, the next batter's swing. Plus one additional if your batter or your next batter has the RBI icon. So this is very similar to a previous car card called Lead by Example. Very nice card. Um, I think similar to what I said for other icon cards, I'm not going to go out of my way to have RBI icons specifically for this card. Uh, 
But if you notice that you have multiple RBI icons on in your lineup already, or you have ones that you're considering, then this is a decent card to play. So I would say don't go out of your way to use this card, but if you find yourself in a situation where like you think you're going to be able to get that plus three fairly often, that's not a bad play. I don't think plus two is good enough for me to want to use it just because an RBI is a pretty small trigger. Like, I mean, I first of all, I, I, I want to be able to get the plus to the swing before I get the RBI, preferably, so I can get the RBI in the first place. But, you know, it's still decent just because unless you hit a home run, if you get an RBI, then the next batter has a runner on base. So, like, that, it's not bad. It's just it's a little too tricky for me to want to use just for plus two. Because you can get plus two from a lot of things. Plus three is a little bit, a lot rarer. So, I think that is worth it if I have the RBI icons. But probably not worth it if I don't. And last but not least, let's talk about defensive strategy cards. First on the list is Caught Speeding. It is a momentum card. You play it after a successful defensive throw on a stolen base attempt. Leave this card in your catcher until they allow a stolen base. Your opponent must discard one card to attempt a stolen base. Plus two to all defensive throws if your catcher has a gold glove icon. So, I think it's a really interesting card. You know, like I've said before with I Am Speed, I don't, I don't particularly think stealing is a great strategy. I just think you have to pay a lot of money for it. So, there, I actually, that to me makes Caught Speeding a better card just because you can play it situationally. You don't have to build your team around Caught Speeding. You can just have Caught Speeding as, oh, I've noticed my opponent is going to be using a lot of stolen bases. Okay. How about I deck caught speeding, right? Versus you have to build your identity around it. You don't have to do that with caught speeding. So it's pretty nice for something like that. I think you just want to keep in mind that you probably want to do this so long as you have a catcher you plan on keeping in for most of the game. If you have a catcher platoon, which a lot of people do, um, that might not be quite as useful just because you're probably subbing that catcher out at some point. But it might still be worth it just because, oh, okay, I'll, I'll set that catcher out in like the 7th or 8th or something. That's still probably pretty good. But in general, um, I think it's a solid card for the specific situation it's built for. And so if you find yourself in that situation, you know, you should definitely consider using it. If you don't find yourself in that kind of situation, you probably don't want to use it. Next is Confidence Buster. It's a momentum card. After an out on the batter's chart, leave this card in your opponent's batter, minus two there on base. Draw one card if that batter gets an out and your pitcher has the K holder save icon. Uh, this is a very nice card. The reason I think this is slightly better than Confidence Booster is because you can play around your bullpen around this card. So if you have this card on a hitter, you can make sure that when you have to choose a bullpen pitcher, you send out a pitcher with the K holder save icon. Whereas you can't really do that with Confidence Booster. You just kind of have to hope your icon player just happened to be the one that got the pitcher's chart hit. 
Um, you know, what's nice about both of these is minus two to on base is fairly static as far as, like, yeah, there are probably some batters you'd rather have this on than most, but minus two on base is still minus two on base pretty much regardless. Um, the only scenario in which it's actually fairly not good to play this is, is on a player you know is in a platoon, because then your opponent is just going to switch them out for their platoon mate as soon as they can. So just keep that in mind, but in general, I think this is an overall very good card. I don't think it's so overwhelm overwhelmingly powerful that you have to play it, but I think it's good enough that it should always be in consideration. Next is Down in the Zone. This is a common, played before the pitch. Change any out result on the pitcher's chart to a ground ball. So this card is basically saying, if you run a slow team, expect this card because this is going to give me a ton of double plays. And I think a card like this was really needed because there was not very much... There wasn't a whole lot of disadvantage of running just really slow players. Like, yeah, double plays will kill rallies, but they weren't common enough for it to be a substantial penalty for me. And so... I think down in the zone is going to give pitching teams a really strong card to counter those types of teams. Now, on the other hand, if you are running one of those slow teams, you can deck hit and run, which is an offensive card you play before the swing that if you get a ground ball, you the runner is safe. It's like, it's like an automatic, not double play. Runner's safe at second because he was running on the hit. So, I think that makes down in the zone a bit tricky. And you're kind of basically going to be playing mind games with your opponent. Like, are they decking hit and run? Or your opponent, are they decking in the zone? And kind of trying to figure out, like, should you deck those cards in order to counter the other? And so, I think there's a bit of mind games going on there. But I would say it's definitely something you should consider a lot. It's a really nice card. You know, obviously the gamble is that you play it before the pitch. You don't know you're going to be on the pitcher's chart. But you're still more likely than not to get on the pitcher's chart pretty much every time. So I don't think that's going to go into your calculus a ton. Like, you just got to play it when a double play would be really nice, basically. So I think it's really nice. You have to know your opponent a little bit to know if they're going to deck stuff. And even then, like, it's not a guarantee they're going to have that in their hand when you play it, right? So you kind of have to do a little bit of um, analysis of your opponent to try and figure out how they're going to approach those. But being able to turn double plays reliably is extremely useful because, you know, it means that you are going to get to stop a ton of rallies. And so what slow teams want to do is get a bunch of dudes on base and then hit home runs. And you stop them from doing that if you get a lot of ground balls. So uh, that can definitely help. Next is empty the tank. You play before the pitch when your starting pitcher is tired. The power die penalty for pitching tired does not apply for this at bat. If your pitcher has the W icon, the command penalty for pitching tired does not apply for this at bat. Um, you only get one copy of this. You only get to use it for one batter. Pitching tired is pretty bad. 
I would just say go ahead and don't use this. Like, I mean, is it really worth decking this card so that your starting pitcher gets to pitch to one extra batter? I really don't think so. Um, you know, the only scenario in which this would make any sense is if you plan on pitching your starting pitcher tired, like, guaranteed, and you just want to have this as, like, a situational, okay, against this guy, I want this card, right? I don't think you should be doing that under almost any circumstance, so I don't think this card's very good. You're welcome to prove me wrong, but pitching tired is, generally speaking, an awful idea, and you should not do it. Next is how about that? You play it after a successful defensive player throw. You draw two cards and discard one of them. Do not discard any card if fielders involved have the gold glove icon. So this is a really interesting card. Um, the reason it's tricky is because it completely relies on your opponent to initiate a defensive player throw. Like there are very few cards that you can play that initiate a player throw. You know, there are a small, there's a card coming up that does, hypothetically, in some situations, there's full extension, but that only comes on a pitcher's chart single, so that's pretty rare. For the most part, you have to rely on your opponent. And so, a lot of whether this card's useful or not is going to be scouting of your opponent. Does your opponent use cards like High Chopper? If they do, awesome. This might be really, really good. If not, this might be really tricky. So, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on how often do you feel like you're going to actually get to be able to play this, because if the answer isn't pretty often, you probably don't want it. Like, drawing two and discarding one is nice. If you happen to have a gold glove, then it's nice to just draw two, but I don't think this is so good that I'm going to use it most of the time. The only time I would use it is if I know my opponent is going to be trying to use as many defensive plays and throws as possible. And in that scenario, I could see myself using it. Next on the list is Make Some Noise, which I'm also going to combine with Under Pressure. These are the, the clutch moment strategies. Um, they are the pitching equivalents to the batting strategies that do this. Um... You get to add pitcher's clutch to the pitch and subtract batter's clutch from the swing or add the batter's negative clutch to the swing. Um, one does one as the primary effect, one does the other as the primary effect, and then they all do the other one as their icon effect. It's fine. You know, I feel the same way about these as I feel about the offensive clutch moment cards. You know, I don't want to rely too much on clutch moments, and I would only deck these if I saw a scenario that was likely where I could make a really, really big jump on both sides, basically. Like, if I can add plus three to the pitch and subtract plus three to the swing, maybe that's worth doing. But there's also a card called Full Account where you can do that regardless. So, you know, I would find it pretty difficult to justify those. You are welcome to try out clutch-based teams. I love running clutch-based teams, it's super fun to run a team based around clutch moments, but I just don't think it's reliable enough to get to work properly. 
Next is maximum effort. You play before a defensive player throw. Roll a defensive player throw using the power die. If successful, your opponent discards a card. Plus two to the player throw if any fielders involved have the gold glove icon. So I feel similar to this as I feel about um, how about that, which is it's difficult to play just because you are not in control of how many defensive plays and throws you make. Your opponent is. So if you scout your opponent and you know you're going to be making a lot, I can see this. Um, particularly if you have the plus two gold glove. You know, I'm not going out of my way to have a gold glove icon player just to use this, but if you have one, um, that makes a lot of sense. If you find yourself in a situation where you know you're going to have a lot of plays and throws, then great. Otherwise, I'm probably not going to use it. Uh, forcing a discard is really cool. I would love it if, at some point, there's enough support where you can force a lot of discards. But because you don't have control over when defensive plays and throws are made, for the most part, there's not a lot of way you can intentionally get this card to come in play. So, I think that force discard is only going to be good randomly. I think it's. I think the thing that would make it a better card would be if you had more defensive cards that could reliably create defensive plays and throws because those would allow a card like this to be a lot easier to use and therefore a lot you could be a lot more precise with your force discards. Next is Stop the Bleeding. This is basically the opposite to Rally Cap. Before the start of any half inning while you're losing, your opponent must discard one card for each walker hit outcome this half inning. Uh, this card's really good because unlike the force discard of maximum effort, stop the bleeding forces a discard for every walk or hit your opponent gets. So, I mean, I guess worst case scenario is you have a 1-2-3 inning, which, I mean, seems pretty good to me. And... Otherwise, a walk or hit outcome are, are fairly common. Like, you don't have to do any special things in order to get those things to happen. Your opponent just gets a walk or a hit. So, I wouldn't really play around it too much. Like, I wouldn't just intentionally throw out a bad pitcher to use this card. But if you're losing and your opponent has a big hand and you want to try and stop, you know, stop the bleeding, like, this is a very good card to do that. I would deck this most of the time, and the reason for that is you want to be able to have cards in your deck that are useful when you're losing. Because if you have a card that is only useful when you're winning, well, you're already winning, right? Like, winning by more is not that significant unless there's some kind of value to um, just, like, really running up the score, right? And usually for that's not the case. The only time that ever happened was the previous non-eroded version of Rally Cap, where you could just keep drawing infinitely and get your entire deck in your hand. And in that case, it made sense to run up the score, because infinite draws were so good that it would just set you up for the rest of the game. But that doesn't happen anymore. So... A card that helps you win by more doesn't really matter a ton. Like, it still helps because you never know if you're going to be losing eventually, but 
if it only works when you're winning, it's not quite as useful because your goal isn't to win the game by a certain amount. Your goal is to win the game. And so something that helps you win the game by more is inherently just a little less useful than it otherwise would be. And a card that helps you lose by less is better because it puts you in, makes it an easier situation for you to come back. And so, you know, it doesn't matter if you lose by 10 or you lose by 3. So in that scenario, right, like, stop the bleeding doesn't help. But if, you know, you're in the fourth inning and you play stop the bleeding because you're down by a couple runs, that is something that can absolutely get you back into the game. So... It's really useful to kind of... It's basically like a rubber banding card. It forces your opponent back towards the middle a little bit. And that's why a card like that and Rally Cap are really good. Because now you can only play them when you're losing. So basically, if you're winning, you're winning. Who cares, right? If you're losing, those cards can help you not lose. Um, so in that sense, I think those cards are really good. I'm probably decking Stop the Bleeding almost all the time. Next is the Shift. The Shift, you play immediately after your opponent plays a strategy card that triggers a power die swing unconditionally. It negates the power die, and if the result is a single, your infield makes a defensive play. If that play succeeds, the result is a ground ball. If it fails, the single stands. This card should be in every single deck. It is amazing. Uh, we are in a power die meta where everybody's using a lot of power die swings and being able to negate a power die swing is really good the fact that this can negate a power die swing and create ground balls is amazing and what makes this card really nice is that if you're running a control oriented style where your goal is to basically just stop your opponent from doing anything you can play the shift very tactically, depending on the situation, right? So, if your opponent has runners in first and second, hypothetically, that's when they should be playing all of their power die cards, right? Because they have runners on base, runners in scoring position, and that's when you want a ground ball to make a double play. So, this card is really nice for that, but just the effect of stopping a power die in any high leverage situation in itself is just really, really good. Um, unconditionally means that the card just grants a power die, so it's not like Hinder's Count, where maybe you get the power die. It's not like On Deck Circle, where maybe you get the power die. It's your opponent played a card, and that card gives them the power die automatically, right? That's what the shift is good for. So, see clearly, should be in every deck, the shift counters that. Ribeye Stake should be in 90% of the decks, the shift counters that. It's really good for all of those cards. And that is all of the strategy cards. Let's take a quick look at the coaches. For neutrals, you have Kevin Cash. He is a play before the at-bat. I guess it's really a bench coach, not a neutral, but I just consider him a neutral. Um, his thing is you can make at-bats clutch moments for an inning. So Kevin Cash is really fun. Uh, I've played around with him. He's really fun. You can run a clutch-based team 
you can use Kevin Cash, you have a bunch of clutch moment cards in your hand, you can, you, for one end, you can just make infinite clutch moments and use all of your clutch moment cards. That's really cool. I just don't think that it's worth completely filling your deck with clutch moment cards so you get, like, one ending of this. I just don't think that's worth it. Because you have to be able to play Kevin Cash when you have a lot of clutch moment cards in your hand, which means you have to be saving them in your hand, which means, you know, you got to be saving three, four, five cards in your hand. I'm like, okay, once I get enough, Kevin Cash is going to be great. But then you're stymieing your play for the rest of those endings before that because you couldn't play any of those cards. They're just stuck in your hand. So I think it's really fun. I think if you're if you want to have a good time, Kevin Cash is going to be super fun. I, I love Clutch Moment playing around them. Um, I think it's going to be a little suboptimal because you're going to be forcing cards out that are really good in order to fit Clutch Moment cards into your deck. Next is Tori Lovolo. His play up for the bat. His thing is. You draw one card when your opponent plays a card or activates a coach. I think this coach is really good. I think we're probably going to see a lot of him in the High Heat League. Basically, he acts as a card to deny other coaches and or strategy cards, right? So your opponent plays good, your, your opponent plays Rally Cap and they have a full hand. And you think, well, they're probably going to try and play a lot of cards to get those hits in order to get cards from Rally Cap. Well, is a good way to either stop them from doing that, or you get cards too. Uh, the easiest thing is, oh, my opponent's playing a bench coach. I'm going to play Lavolo, so every single time they activate their bench coach, I get a card. I think most of the time that's just going to end with neutralizing a coach, but I think occasionally it will end with you drawing cards as well. I think in both scenarios, you're winning. And for offensive coaches, we have Darren Bush. You play it before the at-bat. Your opponent must discard one additional card each time they activate their coach. So, you know, that's kind of similar in that it, it denies coaches. Um, I think it's a little bit worse than Lavolo just because there's not as much upside. Like, it's just going to force your opponent to use their hand up. And, like, that's not bad, but I think that there are offensive coaches that do a lot more than that. And, you know, in general, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I don't think he's bad. I think I would be interested in seeing how useful he is. He doesn't jump out at me as, like, definitely really good. Um, I would consider him to be a decent hitting coach that I would be interested in trying out. Next, next is Rick Eckstein, an offensive coach. Play before the at-bat. You, you may discard up to three cards after the swing to add that same amount to the swing roll. So what's really cool about Eckstein is basically you know exactly what you're getting when you discard cards for him, right? So you roll a 15 and a 16 is a double. You discard a card, you know exactly what that discard is. And because of that, 
you can calculate to make sure you are always getting good value for your discards. And so when you're comparing it to something like Chili or someone like Magadan, that's not something you necessarily get from those cards. Now, obviously it's a big penalty because you have to discard a lot of cards in order to get this thing to work a lot, but the upside is you are guaranteeing good value for it. And so I think that makes a ton of sense as one of many offensive coaches you could potentially pick. Um, we'll talk about defensive coaches really quick. Um, the thing about pitching coaches is that Andrew Bailey is amazing, and I don't think it's possible for any of these to be remotely close to Andrew Bailey, and I think you should just run Andrew Bailey. But I'll talk about them anyway. Um, Tommy Hatabi, your opponent must discard one additional card each time they activate their coach. So the same thing as Darren Bush, but pitching version. Um... I think this is even less useful than Darren Bush because Darren Bush, the benefit is you can penalize your opponent for using Bailey. And I think Bailey's really, really good, so that's not the worst idea. Um, I don't think this guy is going to give you the same amount of value. Um, you know, again, like, I think best case scenario is you probably just prompt your opponent to not use their coach, or you prompt your opponent to just use up their whole hand, which isn't bad, but not nearly as good as Bailey. Next is Pete Walker. Uh, you may discard up to three cards after the pitch to add that same amount to the pitch roll. Same thing as Eckstein, but pitcher version, I think that's really nice. Um, it can definitely help you avoid mistakes. It can definitely help you sneak some advantages in. I think it'd be a great pitching coach if Bailey didn't exist. So, I think Walker's really, really good. I think there's gonna you're going to you know, you're going to use him, and you're going to have a good time. You're going to always know exactly what trades you're making, and that's great. But Bailey is overpowered. He is super good. He basically makes any pitcher pitch like Mariano Rivera, and uh, he's amazing. So just use Bailey instead. And that is it for all of the 2021 strategy cards and coaches. Thank you for listening. I hope that this helped you at least kind of get somewhat of a grasp on what these cards are. And I look forward to trying out these cards and using them and see how everybody uses them in the 2021 High Heat Tournament. See you next time.